Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and joining me tonight in a historic summit, ending a fierce war of words between the two of us. No bells all round, please, folks. It's Tony Kerr. Yeah, a real meeting of dictators, this. Two dictators coming together. We're shaking hands with history tonight, Tony. Yeah. How do you feel? Equal billing. I mean, who would have thought just a few months ago that the two of us would ever get round the table to talk about cricket it's a dramatic turnaround it really is sent shockwaves through the uh, cricketing diplomatic world geopolitical landscape how's it going this week yeah very good thanks are you less stressed than you were the last time we did this people who listened to the last episode may remember that we recorded in a very tight window between you getting in from the dentist and rushing off to play cricket Uh, Are you a bit more relaxed this time? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I came across that stress last time. to me... (laughs) To you, yeah, yeah. I gave you... Well, it's the listeners that matter. But I experienced it, you know, before we started recording and after we stopped recording, uh, when you were tearing through the house, rummaging around trying to find your cricket kit, just kicking over ironing boards. I've never seen a man more panicked. Yeah. No, I'm slightly... I've got to go back to work, but hey, you know making time you don't have to dash off to the podiatrist or anything <laughs> it's an absolutely gorgeous afternoon out there tone it's uh what, what are we now three o'clock uh the sun's shining it's a perfect afternoon for podcasting really this isn't it we've shut the doors drawn the blinds we're ready to go the, the mercury is already rising in here there's a little bit of sweat just forming on your brow we've arguably got as tight a window this time even tighter than last time because the heat is rising as you say and uh We've got to get this done before we suffocate to death. It's like being in a tent at daybreak, isn't it? It's like it's going from freezing to very hot <laughs> in a very short space of time. It's a good reality show in a way. Like for the, the listeners are experiencing both award-winning cricket punditry, but also a reality show. Will they make it out of this room in time? We need to start recording these from the beach tone, really. Yeah, that's the, that's the solution. That's got to be the plan. That And that's the solution probably for everything in life, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, well, let's crack on with it then, shall we? It is already getting unbelievably hot in here. It's only going to get hotter, uh, so we should probably press ahead. There's plenty to talk about tonight, actually. It's been it's been quite a weird couple of weeks for the England cricket team, Tone, hasn't it? Um, they had that huge defeat at Lords in the first test against Pakistan, which we talked about last time, and which set you know set the rest of the cricketing media ablaze. Uh, but then they came back with a, a stirring response at Headingley to level the series and everything was rosy in English cricket again and we'll get into that later on but now things have seesawed back again the other way uh, after they sank to their first ever defeat to Scotland 
in an ODI in Edinburgh. However, having said all of that, uh, as we're recording this, England are well on top in this first ODI against Australia. So maybe things are going to seesaw back the other way again. Have you got a score update for me, too? Uh, yeah, Australia at the moment, 150 for five in the 33rd over. Maxwell fighting back, although he's 50 or 52. So he starts a little bit slower, but... One more updates as we get them. I'll keep you posted, mate. We'll keep the listeners posted with this game of cricket that happened at least 24 hours ago by the time this comes out. So we won't talk too, too much about, about this Australia ODI, but let's, uh, let's concentrate on the, on the Scotland game first of all because it was a historic occasion, undoubtedly the most historic event of the week in the world of news. It was an extraordinary game in Edinburgh. Uh, Scotland batting first posted an enormous 371 for five, an unbeaten 140 from 94 balls from Callum McLeod. Got them most of the way there. That was just a vast total. Uh, And at that point you thought, this really is going to be a historic occasion, Scotland's first win. But England looked as though they were going to chase it down. Johnny Bairstow with 105 from 59 balls. Uh, But they slipped from 220 for two to 276 for seven. Liam Plunkett and Moeen Ali kept them in it with 47 and 46 respectively. But a dramatic ending, Mark Wood, LBW, off the fifth ball of the final over meant that Scotland won the game by six runs in an unbelievable climax. So yeah, I mean, the first thing to say, Tim, I guess, is that this was a cracking game of cricket, wasn't it? I don't know how much you saw of it live, but I saw the last couple of hours and, uh, man, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, I was in London, actually, wandering around, having a bit of tapas and stuff. Uh, So I didn't see the game live, but I got intermittent updates and so sort of got wind of, uh, yeah, just what was unfolding. But yeah, I mean... You sniffed out that there might be a story. I got a sense. I think I was ahead of the curve on that one. (laughs) You just suddenly stopped in the middle of <laughs> Oxford Street and went, that's a story brewing here. You were at some kind of ITV journo reporters bash win. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so you're falling over each other to get this scoop. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, extraordinary stuff though, hey? Uh, I mean, you, you know, I guess we're sort of used to these single token kind of ODIs, I suppose. Um, maybe not being... Yeah, well, we, we certainly used, not used to them being that exciting, that high scoring, and with that kind of result. I mean, I, I guess England were, uh, yeah, were ahead, weren't they? They were ahead of the runway, uh, ahead of the worm most they were of the ahead way. Ahead of the one weight, yeah. Ahead of the one weight. So, yeah, probably slightly, well, probably very disappointed not to have won it fair, I say comfortably, but to have won it with something left, I think, in the end, which would have been an extraordinary chase, you know, had they done it. You well, know, it would have been own. their record chase, yeah. But you're yeah. right, they were. It seemed like they were going to do it from the position they got themselves into. They probably should have won it. Yeah. But, you know, for, for Scotland to, to win it themselves in that circumstance, posting such a huge total. Yeah, extraordinary and, and just so cool for them. You know, yeah, I guess we'll talk about it in a moment in terms of what it means uh, for them and for cricket as a whole. Probably very little in the short term. Uh, but, you know, obviously Afghanistan and Ireland have had a lot of focus uh, recently rightly so you know with getting full member status and stuff but yeah it's just another reminder that there are other teams as well outside of those two that yeah are knocking along nicely yeah and I think you're right I think it's the the manner of the victory as well it's a little bit reminiscent of when Ireland beat England in Bangalore in the 2011 World Cup okay this wasn't a World Cup game so it's perhaps less significant but it is in some sense similar because 
in that game, Ireland chased down a 300 plus total. You know, the fact that Scotland have scored 371 runs here, I mean, that's it's hard to argue that this is some kind of blip or that they didn't deserve the victory when they placed a number of runs. Had they, you know, managed to defend uh, 220 because the ball was nipping around and they had sort of dibbly dobbly medium paces managing to slide it through the gate, or whatever, like that would still be an achievement. But this is like a, a real kind of statement, isn't it? Um, yes, England probably should have won the game from where they got to, but it would have been their record chase had they done it. So in that sense, Scotland fully deserve the victory for posting such a big score. It's the kind of score that four or five years ago, you, you just wouldn't have imagined an associate side being able to post. I mean, hardly anyone was able to post that kind of score four or five years ago, but you know what I mean? And it is, it's it, like, what an exciting finish and it, it's genuinely one of the best ODIs that England have played in the last few years if you think it's three years since the 2015 World Cup and we've seen this kind of transformation of the England team and they've been posting these kind of scores on a regular basis and they've played a lot of exciting ODIs in that time but even amongst that it's one of the best ODIs that England have been involved in and that's full credit to Scotland again yeah I mean and also you can't forget that England are the number one ODI side in the world so uh you, know, you add that into the mix you add it you know, obviously the the historic kind of sporting rivalry you know on on you know across many sports between Scotland and England uh yeah that's a huge occasion for them to play a match like that in Edinburgh to produce that and as you say no blip at all all well the, the top five all of them kind of got in and contributed uh, more than run a ball except for except for one of their batsmen so yeah, it, it was a, you know it wasn't just all about McLeod, although obviously that was an extraordinary innings. Uh, it's an amazing innings, and it's an amazing innings from someone who, you know, like in the case of Ireland in 2011, a lot of their guys were playing county cricket. I mean, Callum McLeod, he used to play for Durham. He was released by Durham in 2016. He's now playing for Bexley in the Kent Premier League, and to rock up and and play that kind of innings against the number one side in the world, it's you know, it's hard to get your head around really isn't it well i mean he'll probably be in the uh in the ipl next year earning like for half a million quid yeah no hugely impressive and i think i saw someone yeah someone saying as well the, the vast majority of this team played together at kind of under 19 level for scotland and, and maybe a, you know a lower age group as well so that they're, they're yeah it, it's a real fillip for for just you know for scottish cricket in general and, and kind of the way they're going about you know yeah, progressing people through to the to the top side. Yeah, and and the benefit of that kind of experience of playing together and of playing quite a lot of cricket for Scotland. I mean, Callum McLeod's twenty nine. He's not sort of a twenty one year old out of nowhere prospect. He, he's he's been around for quite a while, and it as you say, it does kind of uh, give some encouragement to this idea that you know they just need to play to be playing more and more cricket against uh, the top nations. It does have an effect. I mean, from England's perspective, I'm not sure that they need to be too ashamed of their performance. Like this has been like the Australian media. I, I can't remember which newspaper it was, but there was a headline about, you know, the Poms being embarrassed against Scotland, that this is some kind of humiliating moment. And 10 years ago, even five years ago, perhaps it would have been. I mean, I suppose five years ago, it would have been because England would have been dreadful at ODI cricket, full stop. The fact that they are the number one side in the world, it is easier to kind of think, well, this is just a, an extraordinary thing for Scotland. But yeah, Scotland did play exceptionally well. For England, I think, you know, possibly some a few red flags when it comes to the bowling attack. No Chris Wakes, no Ben Stokes, and it suddenly didn't look nearly as uh, as dangerous, although 
this game against Australia today. They've they've done pretty well so far. But actually, I think you know for England, you could say, well, the fact that the that the batsman made a seriously good fist of that chase is another encouraging thing. It is very encouraging that they're continuing to post these kind of enormous totals. There's, it wasn't a little kind of purple patch for a, a year or two. Like they have got a batting lineup now that is capable of regularly scoring above 350. And if you score uh, whatever it was three, what did they end up on three six five? If you yeah, if you post three six five and don't win an ODI, like it, you're going to win most games when you score three six five, aren't you? So I mean that 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 is encouraging, and I I don't th- it doesn't feel like a sort of humiliating loss for me. I don't know if you feel differently, but I, I think for the sort of the English media and any fans who were there, it was just like a great occasion to be a part of, and I, I don't think the players will have been too embarrassed by it either it was it was a, it was a magnificent game of cricket and you know England were a big part of that as well yeah I mean sort of predictably when this kind of result crops up you know there will be people who you know aren't necessarily cricket fans or the more negative who will be like oh you know it's a humiliation you know England should never lose a cricket match to Scotland it's mm-hmm. utterly embarrassing yeah and I agree I don't, yeah it doesn't it definitely doesn't feel like that I don't think it is I mean Scotland yeah Scotland yeah clearly are a, a decent outfit they 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 played pretty well at the uh, the World Cup qualifier, uh, finished fourth above Ireland in the end. So yeah, I mean it's just it's just great to see. I, I just think it's a it was a great outcome all round, really. Well, and as you've hinted at already, like I suppose the real thing to talk about here is you know having talked about how well Scotland played, the real thing to to talk about is what that might mean in a sort of larger context. So yeah, I mean. Given the rise of Ireland and, Af- and Afghanistan to test status, Ireland having just played the first test, Afghanistan about to play their first test tomorrow as we're recording this. So given that and the obvious strength that we're seeing of Scotland and of others, you know, there are sort of exciting stories around the the associate world, Nepal, Hong Kong beat Afghanistan at the World Cup qualifier in March. It seems pretty safe to say that cricket has never had more depth globally than it has at the moment. As a result of that, the ICC's decision to to shrink the World Cup to 10 teams is really coming under a lot of scrutiny, is really under the microscope. It seems curious, doesn't it, to to put it mildly. So we haven't really spoken about this very much on the show. So I'm interested to know what you think. There's obviously been a lot of chat about it in the wake of Scotland's win, but there's been a lot of chat about it over the last few months more generally. As I mentioned, we had the World Cup qualifier in March in Zimbabwe and that saw West Indies and Afghanistan come through Uh, but all the other teams that were at that qualifier did not make it so we're talking no Scotland no Ireland no Nepal no Zimbabwe that got a lot of people talking about it we've had the fixture list for the World Cup was announced recently the ticket ballot is open it's less than a year to go until the World Cup starts so it's been a very very controversial thing this 10 team idea and it seems a pretty universal view that it's a terrible idea but what does Tony Kerr think? I mean, no, no, no one can be entirely confident of what they should think until they've heard what Tony Kerr thinks. What's your What's your hot take on the ten team World Cup? So- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough to to take the other stance. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I've been thinking about it. I mean, a lot of people have pointed out that cricket's pretty much the only sport which is shrinking its top global event, uh, which does seem to be utter madness because you know you put this. Yeah, it was a huge event. Scotland winning the other day, yeah, great for cricket. It's on all the back pages. It's on the, a lot of the front pages in Scotland as well. 
you put that in a World Cup, you know, it magnifies it even more. Uh, it's almost that's the place as well that you want to be creating those sort of uh, events. And I know that, you know, the big three and, and others, that's exactly what they don't want. But that's what cricket certainly needs. And yeah, I, it's just muddle. Thi- I mean, it's 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 cynical. Uh, it's dishonest. It's greedy. And by not sort of admitting that or by basically not saying up front that, that you know, it's just for these reasons, it just looks utterly muddled, doesn't it? Because you, you can't sort of, you know, to give Ireland full member status, but then them not to be at the World Cup is is a nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. On it, on it, you know, singularly, but there should be, you know, at least four or six or maybe more other uh, associates there as well. I mean, to clarify, the, the reason that you're saying it's dishonest and it's greedy and stuff is because transparently the reason for, that they want it to be a 10-team World Cup is that there's no other reason other than, the, other than a sort of financial one because it guarantees India playing nine big matches. It was such a catastrophe for the big wigs at the ICC. The 2007 World Cup where India went out, they lost to Bangladesh and only played two matches, I think, didn't make it to the the Super 6 or the Super 8 or whatever it was at that tournament. And they basically decided we never want that to happen again. They tried to have a 10-team World Cup for 2015. They couldn't quite get it through, but they managed to get away with it this time. And that's the reason, isn't it? That's, That's what it's all about. And I agree as well with what you're saying about like this Scotland win. It is a big deal, and I'm sure it's uh, got a lot of attention in Scotland, and it's certainly got a lot of attention around the world. But it it won't have, you wouldn't think, the sort of lasting impacts that it would have had if that exact same thing had happened at a World Cup. It's just, it just means more. You've said many times, Tony. It's one of the few sensible points you've ever made that sport is only interesting when there's context and. Well, I know we're sort of post-context in various in various ways, yeah. In in sort of specific ways, but undeniably, any sports World Cup or Premier event is is almost universally worth watching, isn't it? It's like I'll watch anything at the Olympics. I'll watch badminton at the Olympics. I would never sit down and watch a random badminton competition in Surrey or whatever on Sky Sports Seven. So this like singular game of cricket that is just a one-off and doesn't necessarily mean very much. I can imagine it being difficult to for you know Scottish people who aren't necessarily into cricket to get that excited about it. But it, it or excited about it in the long term, had it happened at a World Cup, it just would have been a much bigger deal. And having mentioned that Ireland victory over England in Bangalore, I think it's undeniable that that went a long way towards getting Ireland test status and getting them seen as equals in the eye well not really equals but in theoretically equals in the eyes of all the other nations because it it was like a real announcement of how good they were it's an un- unmissable unforgettable statement of what a good team they were and this scotland victory will you know, people will be able to brush it aside in the end but had it happened at a world cup it would have been more difficult to do it is the showcase isn't it that's the idea this idea of, of of protecting kind of what you've got at the expense of what you could have, it, it's just a sort of negative way of, of thinking. And you'd like to think that the pressure is on them to, to make a change going forward. But if they continue down this road, you know, cricket in a lot of places is only, you know, they've got to seize on the, on the chance to expand the game kind of now. Otherwise... The, the chances of actually taking root around the world, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, in places that it could do, it's surely only going to get slimmer as time goes on. 
I do think this is an incredibly bad idea, the 10 team World Cup, for all the obvious reasons, for the reasons that we're talking about. Like you say, it does, it seems kind of fundamentally self defeating to be sort of shrinking the game uh, as a kind of actively closing yourself off to growth, especially in the current climate when, as you say, cricket is kind of fighting to survive in some of its traditional centres, let alone fighting to take root in other places and it has to compete with so many other sports now and so many other things with kids all on their game boys and playing their fortnights and things it's got a job on its hands and most other sports around the world are expanding rugby is expanding even football the football world cup is expanding we've just today it's been announced where the 2026 world cup is going to be in u.s canada and mexico and that's going to be the first what is it 40 team tournament 48 i think 48 teams all right so, but that's an interesting point, though, because it's not necessarily the case for me that bigger means better. So, like, I wouldn't necessarily be so, although I think it's a terrible idea, I wouldn't necessarily be so cross about the 10 team Cricket World Cup if they were actually doing it for the right reasons. If the reason for it was that they thought, yes, it would be great to expand the game, but actually, the Cricket World Cup is not very good. Like, it, it's, it's never been or certainly not in our memories been an interesting or memorable or exciting event we need a better format and this is the format that we've come up with so you know if as in other words if the reason for doing it was because they want above all to have a short good exciting tournament then i could probably get on board with that even if i thought it was the wrong thing i could understand that it you know i i could maybe get behind it but as I say, the, the World Cup's biggest problem is that it's a terrible tournament. That's quite a big problem, isn't it? But it's, <laughs> it's way too long. There's way too many matches. And if you contrast it with something like the Champions Trophy, which is eight teams, two groups of four, it's short, it's sharp, it's over in like two weeks. That's a really good tournament. We're always quite excited about the Champions Trophy. I'm never really that excited about the Cricket World Cup. So if that's what it was about, if they were reducing it to 10 teams to kind of to create a kind of short sharp sort of punchy tournament if the spectacle was their main concern then i do think i could get behind it as i say expansion in itself isn't necessarily a good thing the football world cup is going to be 48 teams that's not good as far as i'm concerned like it it's going to make for a much worse tournament a tournament which works incredibly well at the moment yeah i mean the 48 team world cup sounds really bad yeah i mean it's going to be groups of three teams then potentially will only play twice so you qualify for the World Cup, you play twice and you're out. Then, of course, you've got the fact that one team will sit out the first match day round and be playing a team that's already played and they're in their first match. So I don't, it seems like a bit of a nonsense. Well, thing. it's making what is at the moment quite a sort of straightforward competition incredibly convoluted. And also by making it 48 teams, that's like almost a quarter of the nations that play football so you're kind of diluting the quality of the World Cup, diluting the sort of excitement of, yes, we've qualified for a lot of these teams. I don't know. It just just seems to be taking what work, a tournament that works quite well and making it worse. There, there's, the analogy isn't perfect, though, with the Cricket World Cup because in that case, we're talking about 48 teams or 32 teams, whereas this is 10 teams. It's it's a lot less. Um, I know, yeah, and, and what, there were about 110 Associate, well, 110 members of the ICC or mm-hmm. something like that in total. So yeah, you're looking at about 10% of the uh, of the total rather as opposed to football, which is you know about 25% right. going forward. But yeah, I, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, we've spoken about we've spoken about it before. But 
yeah, it's, it's a six and a bit week tournament, isn't it? The World Cup, which is at least, it's probably two weeks too long. No, like you, I think the punchy Champions Trophy of two weeks, probably a bit too short to be sort of that meaningful. I think a month is about right. Hmm. Three weeks to a month is, is kind of spot on. Like, uh, the, like the current Football World Cup. It's, yeah, exactly. It, a month. It's enough to feel like an event without dragging on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, you're completely right. So the, the, the format really, you know, the fact that England are going to play nine matches before then potentially a semi-final and a final. Uh, you know, nine matches is a lot to sustain for uh, for people. I mean, the flip side is that, you know, it's not just the television audience for India, perhaps, you know, there's nine matches that people are going to get going to get to see, which is quite good from a sort of spectator viewpoint. Spectators at the ground, you mean? Yeah. No, that's true. But, but then it, nine matches is a lot of time to sustain kind of interest in. Well, and also because it's one big group stage. England are playing nine matches because they're playing every team at the tournament because it's just one league of 10 and then there's going to be semi-finals and a final, which is just insane. If you, I mean, this is the thing. If, if, if it was about reducing it, making it more interesting, more exciting, then I might be able to get behind it, but that's not what it is at all. Unbelievably, it's almost, I think it's actually, it's only one match shorter than the 2015 edition, but it might feel longer because at least in 2015, it, it was there were smaller groups and then quarterfinals. This is one long, one enormous group stage and then straight to semifinals. So I think there's something like 45 games before you get to the three knockout games at the end, the, the three that matter. There's going to be so many dead rubbers towards the end of that. Like in the last couple of weeks of the group stage, you're going to have like seventh in the table playing ninth in the table. Neither of them can qualify. I mean, it's hard yeah. to conceive of a worse <laughs> format for a cricket tournament than that. It doesn't really seem to improve things much, does it? I mean, as you say, towards the back end of that group stage, it's going going to get pretty dull. And also, that, that's sort of effectively what the uh, what the ODI sort of championship is. You may as well just have the four top sides in the ODI rankings turn up and play two semi-finals and a final <laughs> yeah, to decide. Because that's literally that that's sort of part of part of what a tournament's about. Is there's a draw, and you know you work your way through. And yeah, then you come you, out as the you, winner, and the. Part of it is that you don't know who you're going to play. Like coming into this Football World Cup, it's exciting imagining what route England might take through to the final, which is <laughs> obviously... Might, might take through to the second round. Yeah, might take through to group stage exit. But, you know, you think, oh, could it be Germany in the quarterfinals? Could it be Brazil? Sort of knowing that the only way that we could play France would be in the final. I thought, oh, you know, there's all these kind of scenarios... It does take some of the the mystery out of it and some of the um, thrill of imagining the different ways that it could pan out. You just know, well, yeah, we're just going to play everyone and the best four teams. And then we'll play them again. The and then, uh, having had these nine games, it then boils down to two straight knockouts, which I suppose will mean that those knockout games are suddenly, all you know, all of a sudden there'll be a lot riding on these games when there hasn't been any very much riding on the previous games. But it is, it's a... It's a bit like it's it's basically the, like the IPL, the format of which I don't like, but without the only good thing about the IPL, which is the sort of eliminator qualifier thing, you know, where the teams, the top two teams play each other and the winner goes through to the final and then the loser of that gets another crack at the cherry. I think that's actually... Yeah, because actually rewards the team that has done best in the group stage. It's, it's, a, it's a, an innovation of the IPL that I think is actually really good. And that could have worked in this tournament but 
yeah, I, I genuinely don't think they could have come up with a worse idea for this. And there's absolutely no defence for it because it is, it is about money and making sure India get nine games. And it, as you say, it's the dishonesty. If they came out and said, look, yeah, that is it. We've got to make difficult decisions. We've got to think about the, the bottom line. But they're not going to do that, are they? Because it's not, it's not literally that we need to do this. Otherwise, we're not going to have enough money to keep Chance to Shine running. Or so It's just because they want to make lots and lots of money for themselves. Yeah. Ugh. As has been you know, widely said, you know, talking about the fact that there's going to be no associate nation at this World Cup. You know, they played, obviously, that, that qualifier uh, in Zimbabwe back in March. Great for it to be in Zimbabwe and I guess you know for for probably all the sides except for I guess you could argue West Indies you know who've obviously got a slightly different history but for and, and Zimbabwe as well to a certain extent but for all those sides you know that is a sort of meaningful tournament with you know good and it, there's some cracking matches in there but it does feel a little bit like they've just been sort of sort of going sorted out amongst yourselves like out of sight of everyone else because I mean it didn't get a huge amount of of press did it for obvious reasons you know? a lot of the games weren't even on tv i don't yeah i don't think i think very Toward, little towards the was, end yeah. they were but not not at the start of the tournament they weren't hong but, kong beating afghanistan wasn't on tv yeah uh you know and obviously we're not saying that the cricket world cup should be 32 teams because yeah there would be some some duff games in there but it should be 16 or 18 or, or even 14 or even 12 but the fact that you know ireland uh zimbabwe the netherlands aren't there you know Nepal or another side they didn't do that well in the in the qualifier but you know another another nation with a lot of potential yeah it it, it, it seems sort of madness not to be including them well, absolutely and I think another problem is the fact that they've played the qualifier more than a year before the tournament which I understand that they have to I suppose they have to figure to out the fixture list they have to put the flights they need to be able to sell the games or that's what they want to be able to do is sell the games but then the football world cup doesn't do that does it it's it's only kind of six seven months before so again like i i could possibly get behind this i might not think it was the right thing to do but i might be able to get on board with it if if they said yeah we're gonna have like a 10 team or even an eight team tournament it's gonna be short and sharp it's gonna be really exciting but we'll have everyone has to qualify apart from the host nation and we'll play the qualifier two months before uh, you know, suddenly that feels fair, doesn't it? And it feels like a something that might be quite that a qualifier in itself would be quite exciting. But this is just it's just infuriating on every level. It doesn't actually seem that difficult to come up with a good idea for a cricket World Cup, does it? Sixteen teams, four groups of four, quarterfinals, job done. That took you about twelve <laughs> seconds, I think. It's early lunch. For, it out. Yeah, just head up, mate. Have a, have a shower. You're done here. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you want a quick update on the Australia game? Just Here's the latest, the very latest. Australia 188 for six. Maxwell went to Plunkett for 62. How many overs left? Just over 10. Interesting. More updates as we get them. Yeah, exactly. This is happening live. Uh, well, the last time we recorded a World Cricket Show was in between the first and second tests of the Pakistan series. We were very upset with the England team for their performance at Lords, where they lost very heavily. Uh, but the momentum changed a little bit in the second test, uh, which we'll talk about now. That was uh, in Leeds, Pakistan. It was sort of like a mirror image of the first test. This time, Pakistan choosing to bat first, which seemed like a slightly curious decision. Uh, and they were all out on the first day for 174. Three wickets apiece for Anderson, Broad and Wokes. All of a sudden, it seemed like England were right back in the series. Uh, batting was a bit of a struggle. Uh, no one got a half century until Joss Butler, right at the end, made 80 not out. And he started hitting the ball around uh, as he was batting with the tail. Don Best, the night watchman, made 49 as well. Uh, so that was a, a decent lead, nearly 200 run lead. Uh, you felt that they pretty much had the game won at that point and, and Pakistan subsided pretty meekly. They were all out for just 134 this time. The wickets spread around three again for Broad and three for Don Bess, his first three wickets in Test cricket. So that gave England a, a big win by an innings and 55 runs uh, to level the series at one all. So it's an interesting game this time, an interesting series do we need to retract everything that we said last time? Is is everything in the garden rosy for the England Test team now? I don't think we need to retract everything. <laughs> you uh, were panicking. No, you. Were, I, you were, I, I knew they had it. Des- I think I'd released the podcast about an hour before the start of the game, so you were desperately trying to get me to uh, pull it. Yeah, pull exactly. It off the internet. Uh, hey, we said. England could easily go and and win comfortably. Uh, we were very careful to include that caveat. Although I then predicted that Pakistan would win the match. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I didn't get... I've not got a huge amount right over the course of the last couple of months. Uh, Actually, my pre-series prediction was one all. So I got that right, but I changed my mind after the first test and, and said 2-0 to Pakistan. Yeah, I mean... It was an Who in- remembers? Yeah, exactly. It was an interesting, uh, you know, the whole series was quite interesting, wasn't it? You know, off the back of that first, uh, that that first test where yeah, England were really poor. You know, some of the, you know, the more sort of low profile pundits compared to us, you know, came out all guns blazing. The likes of Yvonne, the likes of uh, yeah, the, li- the, li- <laughs> the likes of Yvonne, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, came out. Yeah, Michael Vaughan, obviously very forthright. Yeah, that got a bit of a comeback from from Stuart Broad. I think after the first day's play, he had a little go back. Yeah, that was all good fun. Like, I quite enjoyed the fact that there was uh, yeah that that sort of back and forth. Well, I'll ask you more about that in a minute. But yeah. finish finish your point. But yeah, I mean, yeah, clearly Pakistan's batsmen didn't really turn up in this match. Uh, you know, England, England bowled well. I yeah, I don't think either of us said that you know Broad and Anderson were were playing particularly badly or. Should have been, should be dropped, you know. They come back and take a few wickets. It doesn't certainly doesn't 
cover over the fact that those two aren't going to be around for that much mm. longer. Yeah, so they came back and did did well here. Obviously, the bowling unit as a whole did really well because you know, you know, Pakistan d- didn't get much at all. Bess brought definitely brought something to the party as well uh, with his overall contribution. Yeah, you know, good to see him getting those wickets. All the batsmen got in, but again, I, you know, you, you, yeah, it's tough to be too harsh after an innings victory. But the fact that none of them went on and actually went on and dominated and, and, and you know made a big score and converted you know that, that's an that's another match has gone by without an england centurion it was quite a weird match wasn't it because as you say even though england won by a huge margin they won by an innings it's hard to single out any one player as having a particularly good game uh, just butler was man of the match and that was a good innings but you don't often win man of the match for an 80 not out so i suppose you could say it was it was a really good team performance but it could also just be that it was a pretty epic fail from Pakistan's batsmen. All right, you know, England got them out, but as well as they played at Lords, Pakistan played pretty poorly here. They they weren't able to apply themselves with the bat in the way that they had at Lords. So in that sense, I agree with you. I'm not sure how much we actually learned. The the idea that yeah, that everything's every everything's sunny again for the England test team all the criticisms that have been levelled at them still stand. This hasn't actually done anything to address those criticisms. I suppose you could say Joss Butler has come back in. And, you know, People weren't convinced about his return. You were one of those. I was pleading with you as a friend to tone down some of your rhetoric, but you were, you were not happy about that. Um, he's come in and had a good series, hasn't he? But it is, it's only two tests and he hasn't scored 100 and you know, there's a long way to go and he's he's played some good knocks for the England test team before and then been found out in more challenging conditions so we'll wait and see but but yeah he did play well but beyond that no one's had a really outstanding series and as I say all the things that we did say this is a problem this is a problem it's none of it's been addressed in this game only one batsman made a 50 and the bulk of the damage with the ball was done by Anderson and Broad who as you say one of the criticisms is that they're getting older. Where are the guys coming through who could uh, take over from them one day? This performance doesn't really do anything to deal with those kind of concerns. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, yeah, Butler's 80, uh, you know, was impressive. And that is promising. And you really hope he can build on that. Obviously, England don't play again in Test cricket until the India series starts at the, at the beginning of August. So, uh, there's a lot of white ball cricket between now and then. So, yeah, it's basically, it's two months without test cricket. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great that England are going into that little break, uh, or the long break, with you know, with some positivity, something to build on. But, it, yeah, I mean, just what an up and down summer already yeah. it's been for them, a roller coaster. But, yeah, I think that's it. You know, what did we learn from this match? Probably not a lot. It is frustrating as well. I don't really want to talk about scheduling too much. We've already talked about the scheduling of the World Cup for about 45 minutes. Um, but it is frustrating that with the series poised at one all, that that was it. You know, it feels like everyone was sort of breathlessly waiting for the third test. And instead, we've got five ODIs against Australia, which is one of the most pointless series we've ever had. I, they, they, it does seem to happen every few years. They just have five ODIs against Australia. It's pretty annoying when you think the third test would have been quite, quite a big th- deal. No, I think you're right. I mean, well, we've said it before, you know, a two-test series is, yeah, whoever plays best of two in anything. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's either got to be three. I mean, one, you know, the only test, obviously, that uh, 
you know, Ireland played recently, Afghanistan are playing India tomorrow in a or starting tomorrow in a one test series. That kind of makes a little bit of sense. Mm. It's just like it's a test match, let's go and play it. But yeah, a two test series is a bit pointless. You may as well play three. Yeah. That said, you know, how many people, how many more people are, are they going to get through the door uh, for these five ODIs than they would for, you know, for one test against Pakistan? It's not all about, well, it is kind of all about context and scheduling and fixtures. <laughs> you know, actually for be, people to be able to go and watch cricket, I suppose, yeah, that's possibly more accessible than a single test. But hey, I don't know. That's probably true, yeah. But it's that's a, that's an upside of it as a as a fan of cricket. I, th- I think I think the vast majority of cricket fans in this country, anyway, would would rather have that third test than these five ODIs because going back to that word context, what is the context of these yeah, ODIs? They're yeah. exhibitions, aren't they? Yeah, effectively, and uh, yeah, and made well it's simultaneously more interesting, but also much more low key because of what happened with the Australians and South Africa, and mm. yeah, there's been a bit of you know, chat flying around hasn't there uh but then the flip side is that actually the australian team that's playing you know is sort of slightly short of of star mm-hmm. names so yeah it sort of worked it's worked both ways you mentioned stuart broad's comments well what, what what did he think about that so he he responded to vaughan who uh i think on tough as and vaughan on five live and, and maybe in, and in his newspaper column as well as telegraph column he said that Broad should be dropped, or that England should drop one of Anderson or Broad just to ruffle a few feathers in the dressing room. Uh, and Broad wasn't happy about that. Apparently, phoned up Vaughan uh, to give him a piece of his mind. Uh, but then, after the first day's play, when Broad had taken three wickets, he came out with some some fairly strong statements. I mean, when you read it, it perhaps you know the, the, if you just read the quotes, it maybe sounds stronger than it came across when he was talking to Ian Ward. He was being quite sort of lighthearted and bit more jokey than when you just sort of read the words on the on the page or on the screen but yeah it's nonetheless a little strong i've got a quote here which is uh, it's a complete shot in the dark because he doesn't know what the changing room is like i don't think he's got much insight into the changing room at all the players don't talk to him about cricket or what's going on in the changing room but it's personal columns it's radio shows that need likes and airtime what did you make of it all tony were you saying you you, you quite enjoyed it yeah, it kind of broke, uh, well, not quite broke the third wall or the fourth wall or whatever, which, whichever <laughs> wall it's wall. supposed to break. <laughs> uh, uh, it, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. It, you can sort of see, well, you can, I can definitely see both sides of it. You know, Broad is right. Uh, yeah, Vaughan is creeping into the sort of, you know, sort of willfully outspoken territory. I don't know whether, you know... Gob on a stick. <laughs> I was going to say that, <laughs> uh, but you know that, that that's fair enough though, because that's you know everyone everyone's entitled to that, and you know obviously Vaughan's experience kind of entitles him to a certain level of to be able to sort of speak freely. Yeah, I can I can I can see where he's coming from as well. You know the whole idea of kind of punditry, and, and we're part of it as well. You know you you, it's, you sort of you do forget that it is people's job and career so to basically say like oh yeah you should just like sack one of them just to ruffle a few feathers <laughs> it'd be like me sort of going down to your work and be like yeah just get rid of like, adam or or jim just to ruffle a few feathers <laughs> just, get, just get the lunch room talking you just need him on his toes <laughs> yeah so but but in that's but the, the, the obviously the, the flip side to that is though that that column inches and the rest of it and coverage is what pays Broad's wages effectively because without and if people weren't interested in the game, then you wouldn't be able to make money out of it. So it was all a bit silly, but and I think Vaughan did. I think 
probably overstepped the mark slightly and, and it was fair enough for Broad. But as you say, the way actually Broad put it across at the end of the day's play was, was quite chilled. Yeah, I think it was more chilled than maybe some people would make out. I, li- I like the idea of of punditry on office jobs and stuff. It's, yeah. <laughs> I think that would be quite that'd be quite good. Just like someone doing the photocopying, like Yeah, no, I've seen him do it better than that. He seems <laughs> yeah. he seems to be a bit off off his game today. He just doesn't know what he's doing. He's lost the plot. But can you he's imagine like, the yips get, at the photocopier? Getting into your car. Yeah, you've just had a nightmare at work. You've like, you know, I think yeah, exactly. You've you've blown up the photocopier. Uh, or you, you've just missed the photocopier completely, and then you get in your car and you sort of turn the radio on, and someone, some like he's got to go, he's useless. <laughs> it's true, yeah, it is. You're right, it is easy. It is easy to forget what a high pressure, like what's the word I'm looking for, like a sort of claustrophobic that must be to feel yeah. so exposed all the time. But then the flip side to that is that yeah, you like that's the game that's yeah, why you get involved getting paid to play cricket yeah, for england exactly. which not... is a lot of people's dreams so yeah no absolutely well so i've got to say that broad's comments annoyed me a little bit like a, a lot of people were like yeah Stuart, give it back to vaughan because a lot of people don't like vaughan and i understand that like i i think vaughan is sometimes brilliant in his punditry and sometimes the opposite and i do there's definitely a question about the fact that he does he undeniably does talk up people who he's associated with through his management company. There's, the, you know, James Vince uh, is represented by the company that Vaughan works with. He often Vaughan will often say Vince should be in the team or defend Vince or give Vince a lot more latitude than he will to someone like Mark Stoneman who's not with his management company. This is undeniably true. So, yeah, there, there's maybe a separate issue there. But it did annoy me a bit. I didn't agree with Vaughan's suggestion of, of dropping Broad because I think he had actually been bowling well. He, he bowled well in New Zealand. He didn't have a bad game at Lords. And from Broad's point of view, I, I think it's probably a good thing if you if you listen to the punditry and it annoys you and it spurs you on. Um, but it was very early days to be coming out with comments like that, you know. And ba- he basically was saying, "See, I took three wickets, so you can shut your mouth." Like, do you remember the Dinesh Ramdin? yeah Viv talk nah thing obviously not to that extent but it's slightly reminiscent of that it's like well okay that's 100 Dinesh but can you do it consistently and it is Stuart Broad literally took three wickets on day one of the test (laughs) and then was coming out like yeah Vaughan's an idiot he he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about when it comes to cricket it was as we've been saying this one performance from England while it's welcome doesn't actually amount to all that much yet if Broad takes buckets of wickets in the India series and England win comfortably, then maybe he could come out and say something like that. Though even then, there would still be questions to answer about their performances away from home. But he might have more uh, more of a platform to be saying that at that point. But it did feel a bit like he was somewhat premature in being like, yeah, three wickets on a cloudy day at Headingley. So I think that's proved my point. They've got a lot of work in front of them still. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a, a, an intriguing uh, series against India, isn't it? Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a lot to play for, for both sides, obviously, but I think we'll have learned a lot by the end of the summer, that's for sure. Well, speaking of India, they play their, they, they play a test match tomorrow, as we're recording this. It will almost certainly have started by the time people are listening. It's Afghanistan's first ever test match. They're taking on India in Bangalore. That should be pretty fascinating, Tone. We've talked about how excited we are to see Rashid Khan bowl in Test Cricket but actually a lot of the Afghanistan players it's going to be really interesting to see how they get on in Test Cricket against the best Test team in the world India in India it's a pretty 
it's a tough assignment first up, but it's a really exciting prospect. Yeah, and they've gone with four spinners, haven't they? Uh, yeah, Rashid Khan among them. No Kohli for India, uh, but otherwise, yeah, more or less there, aren't they? So, yeah, no, it's going to be fascinating to see. Report next week? Yeah. It's getting really hot in here, Tone. Yeah. Much like everything at the moment that isn't a conversation about the Football World Cup, this episode of the World Cricket Show has been of absolutely no interest to me, and so I'd quite like to bring it to an end. You excited about this World Cup then, Tony? It starts yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Have you come down with World Cup fever? I am, yeah, thick with it. <laughs> I'm sick to my it, stomach yeah. with World Cup fever. Uh, yeah, buzzing, mate. Absolutely buzzing. Key question here. Russia, Saudi, what an <laughs> opener. Have you broken it to your girlfriend that there's a World Cup on? Yeah, I mean, I don't think she really has taken on board, though, quite what that <laughs> means, because this is the first yeah, the first World Cup that's come about uh, since we've been together. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a rude awakening, I think, particularly <laughs> on Saturday when I'm watching four matches, <laughs> six hours of football. You were saying you suddenly realised what... Uh, what a challenge you had on your hands when you had to rearrange your plans to watch the Champions League final. Is that right? Liverpool, Real Madrid. Because you, the only way that... You, were you meant to be going out for dinner? Yeah, I think so. The only way you could get it past it was to say, this is like the match of the century. You don't understand. This is the match of the century. <laughs> but I guess the problem now comes that you're like, you don't understand. It's Japan, Senegal. I can't miss it. Exactly. Oh. As long as you record Love Island and watch that afterwards... Well, I'll be watching that as well. Well, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah the, exactly. That's your, your nightly ritual. It's a bit rude for them to put them both on in the summer. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's probably the only upshot, potentially, of a Winter World Cup. Because <laughs> it is like, it is already, it is quite annoying. That, is that it frees you up to watch Love Island? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, no, but it is actually quite annoying that, you know, you basically moan all winter. You're like, oh, it's like this weather. It's awful. Can't wait for the summer. And then the World Cup comes along and a month of your summer is spent indoors it's true, yeah. watching football. If, when you're not podcasting, <laughs> exactly. you're watching football. I just about see the sun in July. Now that made it sound like Emily will watch Love Island because she's a woman. Now what I meant was you both watch Love Island. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's your bag, isn't it? Your jam. If anything, you're the one making her watch it. Yeah, definitely. It's great. It's just such a... It's just a real world, isn't it? It's just real life, Love Island. Uh, well, last time we recorded, Tone, you were dashing off to play cricket. How did you get on? Quite well, well I'm quite pleased, actually, yeah. This was your return yeah. to the cricket field. Uh, some listeners may have seen, I posted on our Facebook page, I shared on our Facebook page a video that, that, you, that your work did, your, your TV station did, where you're all saying your biggest fears, and your biggest fear that you listed was bowling in cricket. Yeah, other people listen to things like spiders and daddy long legs and that sort of stuff. But yeah, uh, so I haven't bowled it over yet. So I haven't had to face that fear just yet. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I'm doing all right, actually. I'm pretty on my best run ever. Played twice, 21 off 13 balls uh, in the first match in a, in a losing effort, uh, unfortunately. And then uh, then nine not out. Crikey. Night. Yeah. Wow. I know. Uh, too far. I, only, I was only uh, only came out with three balls of the penultimate over to go last night. I was batting at six because I got there late. <laughs> <laughs> right, classic. Uh, so last night I just went in, uh, missed the first, played and missed the first one, smeared a four, 
uh, with the second ball. And then the guy at the other end, I think was on about 46, 47. Uh, so I just nudged one. I tried to hit it for four, but it got blocked on the boundary so he could get through to, to get to his 50. But yeah, the first match, 21 off 13 balls, four fours. Wow. Dropped twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You didn't tell me that. Uh, yeah. Good fours. Fair, well, yeah, they were right, actually. A couple of quite nice ones, just like... Squirted. The, out, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, outfields, uh, the outfields in Guernsey at the moment are absolutely racing. They are lightning fast. So a couple of them just sort of played off the legs. Uh, one big pull, which was the one that got dropped. But to be fair, it was it was a sharp chance, the fielder. And then one relative dolly, which I should have been out on a, having made about seven. Right, okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm quite happy with that. 21 and then nine, not out. That's 30 runs in total. Your average 30 for the season. I mean, that is decent for me. So yeah, quite looking forward to it. So I'm, I'm at, that's two games I've played now, I'll probably try and play again. Interestingly uh, enough, the game we won last night, uh, it was for the uh, the team that you've been starring for this year, but you weren't there. Oh, really? You were playing my team? Yeah, I've I've picked up a foot injury, so I couldn't play last night. I didn't realise we were we would have been playing. Yeah, you. I I didn't realise either until I got there. Ah. Well, of course, had I been there, it would have been very different. I don't know what they're putting in the water this year, Tony, because both of us are having our best cricket seasons ever. Yeah. Although saying that, I've played two games. The first game I've talked about at length on this show all-round heroics, uh, steered a run chase, six and a four in the final over to win it. Um, So the game I played last week, we were batting first. I was promoted to the giddy heights of number three from like number nine. Went out there massively overconfident, swaggered out to bat. (laughs) First ball just, you know, nudged a single just a nice loud shout of yes yeah confident yeah so confident shout bellowed second ball yes <laughs> second ball big swing inside edge for four <laughs> third ball another huge swing completely missed it clean ball in my head i'm like i can hit every ball for a boundary i'm that good <laughs> got a bit of a rude awakening I read cricket is so or batting is so much easier when the ball isn't on the stumps. I mean, I, I I've literally only ever got out bowled, just yeah. missing with a big big shot. But as soon as it's like outside off or on the legs or uh, yeah, you know, just going down the Short, leg side, whatever, then yeah. it is just a, it's an easy game. Well, that's international cricket. You'd be good at international cricket. Yeah, exactly. Very few deliveries hit the stumps. You'd love a bit of Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad, wouldn't you? On that basis. Not that, yeah, even League Division 3 in Guernsey. <laughs> I didn't realise I'd have been playing you last night. I'd have probably uh, grinned at Grun and Bear it. Grun and Bear it and, uh, and played through my injury if I'd known that. I'm glad, I'd though. love to have a bowl at you. Well, no, I was going to say, I, would, I really would have hated that because, A, like, I wouldn't want... It'd be awful to get out to you. I mean, that would be soul-destroying. The worst moment it, of your life. It would equally be awful to, you know, hit you for sort of 28 off and over. <laughs> you know, that would be really... That'd be just tough to watch. Well, I do target the stumps, Tone, so I'd, I'd basically your worst nightmare in that, on that basis. Yeah. Do you hit them, though? <laughs> do you target them? It's a very different thing. <laughs> True. All right, we, we should yeah. probably wrap this up because you've got to go back to work. We, we didn't have a chance tonight to talk about A.B. de Villiers, whose retirement we failed to mention last time. <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry, A.B., but we've, uh, we've left it too late again. But suffice to say, he's a great player. We're going to miss him. Um, maybe we'll have a chance to talk about him on the next show uh, which is coming up in two weeks time between now and then if you enjoy the World Cricket Show and you'd like and you'd like to get more involved in it I don't know what accent that was yeah 
If you enjoy the World Cricket Show and you'd like to get more involved in it, we're we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash cricket show. We're on Twitter at cricket show. We're on Instagram at world cricket show. And if you'd like to support what we do, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can do that financially. Just go to our website, cricketshow.net, and you'll find all the, the links there. All the information is there. But also write a review or leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use, because that is a really big help. And speaking of podcasts, we have some other podcasts, notably a podcast about films. There's a new episode of the Little Film Podcast this week. We're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. If you like the World Creator Show and you like films, check it out. You'd give it a good review, wouldn't you, Tim? Yeah, I'd give it 7 out of 10. Solid. Solid. <laughs> Enjoyable. Well, that pretty much covers it, I think. Stay in school, everyone, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye for now. Cheerio. Can smell your fear. Deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 